Welcome to Dog Training Disrupted by Upward Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. I repeatedly hear people say, oh, someone told me I need to gain dominance over my dog, or I heard I need to be the alpha, right? People often don't really understand what exactly dominance or alpha status means, how to achieve it if they want to achieve it, and the reason why they should be or not be achieving it. The terms are generic, and the advice given to achieve this status commonly increases the behaviors they were attempting to correct. Now, most people listening to this probably do not agree with the whole dominance and alpha status. Some people might, and that, that's fine too. We're just going to talk about it. A lot of the advice that people hear, it's not necessarily negative or harmful, but it can be confusing for a dog, which can be negative or harmful. It can be irrelevant to the goal that they're trying to achieve, or it could just be unrealistic and a pain in the ass to implement and just simply make no sense. So when I hear these cliches, I roll my eyes, I sigh, and I begin to explain once again why the dominance and alpha trend is one of the worst things to ever hit the dog world. Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host and successful behaviorist using canine cognitive behavioral therapy for over three decades. And as many of you may know from listening to my podcast, I absolutely love definitions. So I'm going to start with the definition of dominance. To have power and influence over others, often without the consent of others, and commonly achieved in an aggressive manner. Hmm. Hmm. Should we dissect that? Probably don't need to. Definition of alpha, a title given to a, the member of a group, pack, or unit who holds a leadership and commonly dominant role. Hmm, interesting. I could go a couple different ways. So just to let you know, I'm actually uh, taking this information straight out of my book. I talk a lot about different topics in my book. It's, it's kind of all over the map, but it, it's got really good reviews on just how it's written and how it explains a lot. So I thought I would just read this directly from my book. So behaviors such as jumping, nipping, stealing objects, pinning, you know, for example, when a dog would pin a human laying on the couch, licking, refusing to obey commands, barking in the face, poor leash manners. These can all lead to a dog being labeled as dominant, resulting in the dog world convincing people that they need to gain dominance over that dominant dog. When dogs are aggressive towards people or towards other dogs, people are often told that they need to gain alpha status. Techniques to achieve dominance or alpha status are commonly reactive in nature, such as kneeing or yelling or disciplining or some kind of reactive reinforcement to discourage the behavior, such as taking away a privilege of being on the couch. I mean, there's, well, we, I talk about a lot in this podcast, different reactive reinforcements. The techniques show the dog that really you have very little or no ability to effectively teach expected behaviors, calmly guide him or her, or to calmly manage situations. And this can lead to increased unwanted behaviors. A lot like the terrible twos, it can also increase anxiety, fear, and of course, aggression. Using physical force, such as pinning down a dog or a spray bottle or an e-collar, 
or forcing a dog into a crate. These can be necessary, I use that term lightly, safety measures in the moment if a dog is being aggressive just to prevent uh, a bite and to maintain safety. But these aren't methods for rehabilitating aggression or anxiety. And if they're used as methods, they can actually increase that aggression and anxiety. So I want to talk about common recommendations to gain dominance or alpha. The following common suggestions to achieve dominance or alpha status, they don't necessarily have negative repercussions, but they are nonetheless often ineffective. And as I mentioned earlier, kind of confusing and often just a pain in the ass to implement. The first one is going through a door or up and down the stairs before your dog. The idea that going through a door first or up and down the stairs shows dominance to the dog is a human belief. And it's prevalent in some cultures, but it really means nothing to a dog. The exercises can be a pain if you don't want to go outside and the dog learns how to get you outside. So <laughs> they go to the door and then you have to go out. And I live where it's minus 40 in the winter and I don't want to go out every time. I don't want to go out all the time anyway. The exercises can strengthen commands that are used because usually people teach commands along with that. But it becomes very routine driven and it takes the focus off of the bonding and communication between you and the dog and it just puts it on the routine. The second one is that you should eat before your dog eats. I do not have a structured eating time for my dogs or for myself. I eat when I come home from sessions, which is usually pretty late at night, and I feed my dogs before I go commonly so that they don't get hungry. So they don't feel that you are dominant if you eat before them, and they don't feel like they're dominant if they eat before you. These are both routines, and I think what's happening there is some of these trainers or people that recommend that, they're trying to get a routine down. And that helps with communication. So I understand where they're coming from, but it, you really don't want such a routine. You want a communication where you can change routine. But I want to talk about whether the implementation of these routines can have a positive effect. Yes, they can. If they're calm and clear direction is used to teach the rules or the routines, so for example, of not pushing through a door and not begging or not jumping on a table, it's likely that the act of teaching these expected behaviors did create a bond and was essentially more beneficial in just the act of teaching them than the actual continued enforcement of them. So the dog views the person as having calm manageability, knowing how to teach these routines or these rules, which in turn change the dog's perception of the person. Alternatively, clients have told me that they successfully taught these routines, but needed to have further training, that's why they hire me, because their dog's behavior that they initially wanted to address didn't change. So even though they were successful in accomplishing those exercises, the dog still did the unwanted behavior. And this may be because one, they enforced these rules in a manner that pissed off their dog, not intentionally, but just by the way that it was done. Or two, the skills taught were not transferable to other areas of concern, so they didn't really make sense to the dog. Or three, the dog perceived the person as in control or only during those routines. Essentially, these rules or routines or restrictions even 
were enforced in an attempt to gain dominance and to deter unwanted behavior, as opposed to just simply building tools to build a bond and to gain a platform that we can then build off of. A rule that I don't see any connection with at all is that your dog should not be on the couch or the bed. So restraining dogs from areas both you and your dog enjoy spending time together in is not effective. It's not a way to teach manners and it certainly doesn't show dominance. It can take away from enjoying time with your dog. If the dog is misbehaving, for example, while on the couch or bed, it is our responsibility to teach that dog the expected behavior in those areas. Another one is refraining from playing tug of war. It's a common belief that playing tug of war creates aggression. This opinion stems from professionals not having the ability to calmly manage the dog during this game. And this leads to behaviors perceived as dominant or aggressive. I never recommend refraining from playing tug of war. Refraining from playing is a bummer and it frustrates the dogs. Dogs don't learn anything from not playing. Now, I'm not saying you just go ahead and play sporadically or without any calm manageability. I'm just saying that playing tug of war creates an opportunity to strengthen skills and the bond between the dog and the person. So I teach people exercises that are incorporated into playing tug-of-war. And these, like I said, strengthen the commands, they establish transferable exercises, and increase the bond. My goal and the, and the goal of majority of my clients is not to dominate the dogs or to show alpha status over the dogs. The goal is to change the dog's perception of your ability to teach expected behavior calmly and calmly manage situations. And that's what the tools allow us to do. I want to talk about pack leader. And of course, I'm going to give a definition. A pack leader is a title given to one who leads or is in control or in charge of a group and situations. A role commonly achieved or granted to the one most qualified for the position and carried out in a manner acceptable to the members. So the term pack leader is not as negatively authoritative as the terms dominant and alpha, and the term can help people put situations and behaviors into perspective. I like to use the comparison of a child daycare provider. The daycare provider knows how to create and manage an environment which is calm and fun for everyone. The daycare leader is familiar with the personalities of each child. The person employs positive techniques and has the skills to present excuse me, to prevent negative situations. The children enjoy listening to this leader and following the rules. In fact, the children often appreciate this leader's ability to guide, direct, and create a safe and positive environment. So that is how I view a pack leader. And that is not dissimilar to dogs or to families and how family dynamics work. So I don't really have a problem with pack leader as long as it's implemented and approached in a positive and productive manner. So before I let you go, I can give you some exercises to think about in respect to how to change routine, to change your dog's perception of you as opposed to the perception or the mindset of gaining dominance. So if we take, for example, going up and down the stairs or in and out the door. Uh, you could take whatever you would normally do for your commands, sit or stay, uh, even recall, and switch up the routine. So instead of having them 
go where they would automatically go and sit. You could also do this for your feeding routine and just switch it up. Have them sit somewhere differently um, and then maybe call them over to where you are, which would be somewhere where you commonly wouldn't be, say back behind the door or back behind the stairway or in a different part of your kitchen for feeding and then get them to stay there and then walk to a different part, give a release and see where they go. They could go to where they normally feed or they could go down the stairs or maybe they'll come over to you and think, well, you're not down the stairs, so I'm going to go over there. So we're incorporating a little bit of decision making there and options without telling them what they have to do. But like I said, you could also give your recall. This type of training just requires creativity and adaptability to your own lifestyle, the layout of your home. And it's just a matter of having them think about you calmly managing situations with commands that they already know and ability to switch up what they think would happen. So that when you get to more challenging times, when they're not really sure what's going to happen or they think something should happen a certain way, you have some amount of platform skills. Now, this is just me throwing it out here quickly, obviously, uh, but this is the idea of what you want to do. And it, it allows them to see you differently, creates a different bond. Really, it requires application. You just have to do it, play around with it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to Jeff Murtick and Open Strum for the music. Always, always appreciative of music. I just love it. And as well, if you haven't listened to the first few episodes of this podcast, I would strongly, highly, highly suggest doing that. Please follow me on Instagram. That is Upward Dogology. I'm very active on LinkedIn. That is Billy Groom. And getting more so on Twitter, that's Upward Dogology, and Facebook, Upward Dogology. And please share this podcast. I appreciate your support, and I appreciate all you do for the animals. Enjoy your learning journey.